Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Audiobooks are my kryptonite, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, the Rolls Royce of audiobooks. Get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash whyitworks. Here with us today is Jeff Eichler. Jeff is the director of Quetico Career and Leadership Coaching, where he helps individuals make career shifts and leaders change their organizations with a blend of data-driven coaching and his 35 years of experience in the corporate world. We speak to Jeff from his home in New York City. Welcome, Jeff, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Oh, thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. It's great to be sitting on this side for once. <laughs> great. So I've gotten to know you as someone who's passionate about helping others through coaching, and you have a wealth of knowledge and experience. Give us a little window into Jeff Eichler pre-coach era. Wow. All right. How much time do we have, Joe? <laughs> So um, pre-coach era, I, this go, we're going to take you all the way back um, when I was a teacher. I was a high school history teacher back, oh, in, wow. back in Illinois. And um, I stuck with that until I went through something called a reduction in force. Rift. Rift. All right. So I, want, I, I was passionate about education, and I looked to see where I could leverage my skills, and I, I got a job with... Um, Scott Forsman Publishing, you know, Dick and Jane fame. I was placed in the social studies department. I worked uh, for Scott Forsman for seven years. Then I transferred to a sister company, Prentice Hall, again in social studies. And over the next uh, 20, 25 years, I gradually worked my way up through marketing and editorial to the point where I was, I was actually running the publications division. I was, I was head of what we were producing. Wow. And then I finished my career uh, working on the professional development side, helping teachers and educators make the most of the publishing tools that Pearson was producing. And again, I was ripped. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> A river runs through it. And, um, and I had seen the, the winds of change, or felt the winds of change, I should, I should say, uh, because the company I was working for was going through a number of uh, reductions at the time, I decided to go back to school and I chose coaching um, as an area because I had been coached twice. Once um, while working uh, for Prentice Hall, I went through a management training exercise and I went through executive coaching. It was fascinating mm. um, just to have somebody be asking a lot of questions of me and, and me kind of digging through the layers of personal onion, if you will, to try yeah. to get what I was about as a leader. And then later on, I was at a juncture in my life where I was stuck and I hired a, a personal coach. And again, I just really appreciated the opportunity to have a talking partner, uh, someone who would challenge me uh, with good open-ended questions. And, and when it came to, uh, you know, looking for a, a second career, a second chapter, I said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my hand at coaching. And um, I, I tell people all the time, it's, it's something I wish I had done 40 years ago. Because it's, wow. <laughs> it's extremely uh, rewarding work 
Um, just one-on-one, it's a privilege for people to let you in to their lives yeah. and what they share. And it's really nice if I can help them with the kinds of questions I ask, the types of activities I'll ask them to take on, the readings I provide them, and so forth. So that's, that's the long, tortured history of how I got to be a coach. Well, it sounds like a wonderful journey so far. <laughs> Let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell us what you do, but tell us as if you were speaking to a five-year-old. Right. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start this, Joe, by telling you what I don't do. Because sometimes when we talk about, when we tell people that we're a coach, different words come to mind. Some people think that I'm a mentor. And you, you may have seen mentoring in your company. We had mentoring in the company that I worked for where you're assigned somebody who's working at a higher level. Uh, they have uh, professional expertise and they impart their knowledge. And the sentence that I have that I think describes that is, let me show you what worked for me. So, oh, oh, classic. <laughs> relationship. And there's nothing wrong with that if it's if you're given the opportunity to shape it for yourself. But the mentoring relationship I was in, the person was holding the flashlight and saying, let me shine a light on what worked for me. Right. All right. We're also sometimes confused with consultants. Mm-hmm. And while I will do some of what a consultant does, which is, is provide uh, the best advice from what I've gleaned by reading publications and through my experience, I tend to try not to do too much again of that because, again, I don't want to lead the client to where I want to go. I want them to go where they need to go. So the, the watch phrase there is, let me show you what has worked for others. All right, that's mm-hmm. what I see consultants doing. So the mentor is, let me show you what worked for me. The consultant is, let me show you what's worked for others. And then the, the third area is people will say, are you a therapist? You know? <laughs> and I'll say, no, but what I do is therapeutic. In, co- in the coaching parlance, uh, we, we can work very well with therapists. Therapists uh, tend to look at a person and tend to focus on the past and the, the pain that is, that's still really raw in the past. And therapists help clients understand that and hopefully move beyond that. Uh-huh. I do a little bit of that, and maybe we'll get to that later, but I don't do therapy. I try not to get my, my clients too focused on the past because if we're focused there, we're not looking to, to the future and we're not taking advantage of the present. So as a coach, uh, as a coach my watch phrase is, let's find, let's find out working together what works for you. Oh, Jeff, I'm going to steal some of those. That's good stuff. <laughs> and you know, Joe, we're all about open-ended questions. You know, yeah. what, what and who. Um, rarely do we ask why questions because they have that connotation of, well, why'd you do that? You know, right. it's a blaming type question. Yeah, exactly. And we try not to ask yes or no questions because you don't get anywhere. You have to always have a follow-up. So uh, basically as a coach, I try to help my clients peel away the layers of their personal onion to get really at their core. Okay, great. I'm so happy you're here today to talk about the topic of change. And let me tell you why. First, you have a lot more experience coaching than I do, and as I've gotten to know you, you've been really generous to me with your advice and time, and I'm also inspired by your willingness to try new things like your Getting Unstuck podcast, and I really wanted to give my audience the chance to meet you. Oh, it's, really, it's really nice to be here, Joe, and uh, we've, had some, we've had some good exchanges on LinkedIn, and it's a, 
It's been a wonderful experience getting to know you and to learn about your development as a coach. I mean, we have that, that in common. Uh, so this is great. And we're going to reciprocate in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to turn the chairs when, uh, when I interview, on, uh, uh, interview you on my podcast. I can't wait. I can't wait. So one area I feel we share in common is realizing the importance, not just, not just of the advice we give, but of the foundational element to connect with the coaching client. How has your ability to connect or maybe sometimes difficulty in connecting with a client influenced your coaching approach? That's a, that's a great question the initial struggle that I had coming out of being in the corporate world for almost 40 years where people look to me for the answers. Uh And as the leader, quote unquote, I wanted to give the answers because I was the leader and I had this this self-importance that I had to be the one to be directing the ship. It's the antithesis of coaching. And what I really had to do, Joe, when I started coaching was to slow down. Okay. And I actually had a, a mentor coach, and I'll call him a mentor coach because he, he held my hand in the early days. He said, what's your hurry? You don't have to get anywhere. Huh. You know? You're not trying to solve anything. They're going to solve it. Your job is really to ask uh, powerful questions. So when my clients appear to be stuck, when they're, when they're reluctant to go forward with themselves, all I do is I slow it down. And I try to ask as powerful a question as I can to move them a little bit. But my goal, it's really been a retraining of me, is not to get them to move too fast because what happens is that often increases their fear. And if, uh. their, fear, if their fear has been elevated, they're really not going to move forward. So we try to initially, I try initially to go at their pace. And that gets them comfortable. It builds trust. And we start to move. We, we'll pick up a little momentum as we go along. Yeah, that is a great concept, Jeff. And this is why I'm so happy that we're talking today. You know, I definitely think that you have to ask the right question. But to your point, you have, even if you're asking the right question, it has to be at the right speed because people have to be comfortable. They have to be ready for it. Because if you ask the wrong, right question at the wrong time, that's not helpful or it could even be damaging towards the cause. Right, exactly. Like I'm a, I'm a career coach. I focus on, on helping people in their current career or to seek out a future career. And one of the questions I'm reluctant to ask right away is, well, if you're thinking about a future career, what is it that you want to do? Too soon. <laughs> it, 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 they may have an inkling of an idea, but if they say it, they think they're going to sound ridiculous. Right. So sometimes I'll just say, don't tell me, just write it down. And yeah. put that paper, piece of paper aside. You don't even have to tell me. I yeah. just want to know what's in your heart, you know? Okay, great. Well, let's start our musical exploration of change with New Jersey's own favorite son, The Boss.
What are you hearing here, Jeff? Uh, uh, Joe, I don't, think, I don't think we could have chosen a more perfect song to start with. Um, because what Bruce is talking about there is really the impetus for all of coaching. I'm stuck. Or in this case, we're stuck. Uh, he says, it's the same thing night on night. Who's wrong, baby, and who's right? And I'm caught moving one step up, two steps back. This is a great song for the life coach because it deals with a relationship that's going nowhere and a man who is going nowhere. He's got that great line in there. When I look at myself, I don't see the man I wanted to be. Somewhere along the line, I slipped off track. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, he's, he's stuck. He's just, if anything, he's moving backwards, right? <laughs> yeah, slipping yeah. backwards, right? Right. But being stuck, this affects all of us coaches regardless of the niche. One of my friends is a fitness coach. Uh-huh. And what she's going to hear is I'm not making any progress toward achieving my ideal weight. Um, one of my friends uh, is an over 60s coach. Okay. Really, people she works with are over 60 years of age. And they come to her and say, I don't know what to do with myself in retirement. Mm. And then as a career coach, I hear this job or career isn't right for me, but I don't know what is. They, they know they're stuck, but they don't know which way to go. Uh-huh. So that's really, that's really the impetus for moving us uh, into, the coaching, um, into the coaching process, if you will, is to, is to find out where they're stuck and as I said earlier, what I do, what I try to find out is a little bit of past history that might uh, have relevance to, to why they're stuck at that moment. Yeah, it's what's kind of interesting to me, uh, Jeff, is most of the people you coach have probably been fairly successful and moving forward in their lives. And then they just kind of get to a point where they come to like a screeching halt. And like you said, they get stuck. And are there any sort of themes or kind of traits that you've seen that uh, more often than not kind of lead to that type of situation? Well, I'll tell you what I'm starting to see, Joe. And this was a, this was a revelation to me. We often have a commitment to change. Let's say that uh, a person wants to go through weight reduction. I, this, was, this was me. I wanted, to, I wanted to lose a certain amount of weight. Okay. But what I discovered, I read this, this great book, it's called Immunity to Change. And what the authors talked about there was you, have a, you initially have a legitimate desire to change. In this case, I wanted to lose weight. But then you have a hidden commitment that works against the initial commitment. And I, I said, well, what is that for me? And it dawned on me. My hidden commitment is my Friday night pizza night with my wife. That's our, that's our bonding time. That's our social you and me together bonding. Yeah, yeah. Candlelight, bottle of wine, pizza. So here I have this desire to lose weight, but on the other hand, I have this other commitment. And the, I started to think about this. The company I worked for had this commitment to be nimble. They wanted to be a PT boat. They wanted to move fast, uh-huh. right? But they were a huge giant of a corporation. They were fiscally conservative. Everything was had to follow a financial process and meet certain hurdles. You've been there, right? And that argued against being nimble because on the one hand, it was a very slow and deliberate process, which worked against their desire to move fast. 
So what I try to do with people when, when they're stuck is maybe hear, well, what's that hidden commitment? I start mm-hmm. to listen for what's that hidden commitment that's working against you and keeping you from moving forward. So when you're able to peel back the onion and, and help them unearth that, because obviously you don't know what that is. They, they have to understand that for themselves and share it with you. What is the power of them understanding that, right? Because before they were in the dark and they just thought they had one agenda going on, but now they realize, hey, there's a second agenda over here that's fighting against my first agenda. Where do you kind of go once you have that information? What, what is the power of having that? Well, now we can start to, to solve something and it's usually solving for the second one. Mm-hmm. What we don't want to do is take my bonding time away from my wife but what we can do is maybe have healthier choices, right? Right, right. Okay? So I can keep my second commitment, which allows me to keep my first commitment. What we get to are those aha moments with clients where the, the light switch goes on, if you will. Yeah. And they, they suddenly discover that they've been working against themselves. I love that example with the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we have the young rascals. Uh, with a question I think we all ask ourselves from time to time. Right. How can I be sure in a world that's constantly changing? How can I be sure where I stand with you? Don't take me down Whenever I Whenever I'm away From you My alibi Is telling people I don't care For you Maybe I'm just Hanging around With my head up Upside down, it's a pity I can't seem to find someone who's as pretty and lovely as you. How can I be sure? Jeff, what do you think is going on here? Well, on the surface, um, well, first of all, let me say, Joe, I, I looked this up. This song was really popular in 1967, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a sophomore in high school in 1967. <laughs> and this song epitomizes the uncertainty of adolescent love, right? How can I be sure, you know? But I, as I listen to this, there's a lot going on in this song. Um, he, uh, uh, he flits from kind of the semi-dark and brooding um, whenever... I, whenever I am away from you, I want to die because you know I want to stay with you. Then he goes into this skipping along OG with slightly up-tempo. Maybe I'm just hanging around with my head up upside down. All right? 
And then at the end, we get this twist uh, where he repeats the opening question, how can I be sure? I'll be sure with you. So we go from this where he's questioning whether she's going to want to be with him to, am I going to want to be with you? And what's going, what's going on here for me, what I heard in this was the, the coaching concept of the inner critic. The this inner critic? The, the inner critic. Okay. All right. This is that voice that we all have inside of us that uh, can be critical of the actions that we're taking. In some cases, it can say, Joe, why aren't you working more hours at work? And in, and the next day I'll go, Joe, you're working too many hours at, at, at work. You're, you're denying your family you. The role of the inner critic, it comes from that, that part of our brain, the reptilian part of our brain, that is our, uh, the protective mechanism that tries to keep us locked in a place. It may not be the best place okay. because the brain doesn't necessarily care if it's the best place. What the brain held, um, hates more than anything is uncertainty. Uh-huh. So here we have a song about the uncertainty of love, and this guy is kind of bouncing back and forth be, between questioning whether she's going to love him. Oh, maybe I'm just hanging around with my head up upside down. He asks whether she's going to love him, and I'm going to love you. He's locked in place. He's just kind of locked in place by this inner critic. And this, takes, this actually takes me back to the question that you asked earlier. The inner critic, I think, can be... Um, I, I tend to see it as the, the root of what underlies all of coaching. Okay. Because the inner critic can have any number of voices. It can be judgmental of us. It can be uh, making us a stickler for things, a pleaser, an avoider, a victim. Uh, what I do in my coaching, Joe, is I have clients characterize their inner critic's voice in a slightly disparaging way. Because if they can do that, they can start to get on top of the inner critic. Uh-huh. We never want to have a dialogue, but what we do want to is recognize what they're saying to us, and we want to have a little bit of an edge. So I'll give you an example. I had a client um, whose inner critic basically told her, you need to work harder. You're never going to get promoted if you don't work harder. And then okay. it would say, why are you working so hard? Nobody recognizes you. You're putting in all these hours, blah, 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 blah. So she called her inner critic zigzag or zigging <laughs> because he always had her zigging and zagging. My own story was, um, and this is where all inner critics come from. They come from us when we're in our childhood. We pick sure. up on things as kids that we hear, words that are used. They're not necessarily meant to harm us, but we ingest them. So what I heard when I was growing up was um, I could do better. You can do better. You can apply yourself more uh-huh. um, and, and things like that. You're, n- you're not going to reach your full potential. And so this is something that plagued me throughout my entire adult life. Wow. Is that I felt, I felt Im- imperfect. So I eventually named my critic Mr. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and by doing that, I saw how ridiculous it was to be thinking that I could ever be perfect, right? Yeah. And because you don't learn from being perfect, you learn from being imperfect. You yeah. grow from recognizing where, you, where you've had some faults or, or missteps or whatever. But that's what I try to get to in, in my coaching is what's, what's the inner critic saying to them? Where is it holding them back? 
Yeah. So my question to you, Joe, uh-huh. since we're both coaches, yeah. um, what's your inner critic saying to you? I think your inner critic and my inner critic must be relatives because <laughs> my inner critic, uh, I think, ingested from, you know, my childhood, probably mostly through, you know, my parents, you know, wanting to encourage me and have me reach my full potential was kind of like, you're never good enough. Whatever I do, I can always do a little bit better. It's never enough. And perhaps similar to you, it manifested itself in various ways that no matter how much I achieved in terms of goals or uh, awards or praise from others, that inner critic could always seep back in and say, well, there's still someone better, or you could have done better, or you're not really the best. So, you know, there's more to be done. And it can be very, it can be very damaging, depending on the way you deal with it, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the inner critic in this song is kind of the restless voice, where he's mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the, the brain, the, the brain will keep him locked in, in place that way. As a, as a career coach, I hear things like, I can't leave this job for a new career because I won't have any transferable skills. Mm. You, can ima- you can hear the inner critic saying, yeah, you can't work in that field. What are you going to do? Right? The other one is, I can't network because I'll bother someone. Yeah. Right? You can't call that person up. They have a job. You're going to be bothering them. And it's this incessant whispering, and sometimes it's actually yelling. I can't get a new career because I'm too old. Right? Yeah. yeah. We're, you and I are twins from a different mother. You know, it's just. I, I, I think what's so powerful about what you're saying here, Jeff, is first recognizing that that's what's going on and two, having a more effective way to deal with it because you know if the inner critic is giving you good advice that's one thing but it's be able it's being able to decide or choose what you're going to do rather than just reacting to the inner critic and making it sort of an advisor rather than sort of the captain or the controller of of, of your destiny I, I think that's so powerful when the coaching can help you get to that Right. And what I try to do is, is pull out the opposite of the inner critic that we all have. And I call that the sage. The sage. Okay. What's the that? Sa- the sage is the wisdom that we have, that we, we know what is right for us. And I try to get at that, but it's underdeveloped. It's like the little thin kid on the beach who's always getting sand kicked in his face. Mm-hmm. The, the inner critic is the muscular powerful voice because it's the one that always get gets exercised. So what I try to do it in my coaching is build up the sage, that mm-hmm. voice of inner wisdom that, that people have. That's great. All right. So here's one I wasn't as familiar with from the Broadway version of the Bridges of Madison County. I uh, really enjoyed this. So thanks for sharing this song with me, Jeff. Sure. From down the hill with silver eyes and hair like coal and massive hands that trembled when he looked my way. Paul was a boy who loved to swim, and who knows why I fell for him, but soon enough I kissed him on a winter's day. Cheska, his doll and his dumb You'll end up a farm wife exhausted and numb I'm off to the service man's club You should come 
But I dreamed of the beach at Ancona Where our kids would play Paolo ride by my side And the ocean only steps away Wow, that is powerful stuff, Jeff. Your reaction? Yeah, so in this, in this song, we have Cheska, who um, uh, she's living in Italy before World War II, and um, her sister, uh, Chiara. Um, and uh, Chiara is kind of lo- locked into the, the traditional way of, of young women during war, where she is willing to use her body to get what she needs. Cheska wants none of that. Cheska always wants more. Uh, the, the lyrics that we heard in, in, this, in this clip, she's talking about um, moving to Ancona, which is a small town on the Adriatic. Earlier in the song, she wants to move to Siena, which is a, a hill town in Tuscany. And finally, at the end, she wants to move with an American sailor to America. <laughs> she sees her future She's looking forward to her future. She's not looking backward. She doesn't want to be stuck in, in Italy the way her sister uh, is going to be stuck in Italy. And what did you, uh, what emotions came up for you? I'm just curious, Joe. Um, every time I hear this, I start to bawl like an idiot. <laughs> All right? I, I'm serious. I mean, I'm just curious what emotions came up for you when you heard it. Yeah, you know, it was very poignant. It was like kind of a deep sense of like longing mixed with despair, mixed with hope, you know, between the sisters and the, you know, untenable situation, you know, that that they're put into because of this war and and just how people can react so differently to the same situation. I mean, they're sisters, they're raised by the same parents, they probably share similar values, yet it can end up in, in such different sort of uh, opinions or ways of dealing with things. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. I, I like the way you describe that because there is that, there's that kind of melancholy and pain. She desperately wants to, to get out of her, of her current situation. And the reason I asked you about emotion is music can trigger emotions and emotions mm-hmm. can trigger memories. Mm-hmm. And when we listen to music, we, we will go places based on, we will go mentally to places based on the emotions that the, that the song is, is triggering in us. I think that's the power of music. And in fact, one of the things I'm thinking about experimenting with clients is having them build a playlist that's really, really positive and meaningful to them. Oh, yeah, that's great. All right. And it's like, it dawned on me when I do, when I do my... Uh, exercises in my fitness routine, I have a very pumped up playlist, right? right? Now, I couldn't exercise to this, I would, I would be, you know, I'd be in pain and downtrodden. But that's the emotion, that's the power of this, right? And that's what we try to get. That's what I try to get at when I'm working with clients about looking at the future. We want them to be looking at the future, not at the past, right? Because if they're looking at the past, where they're, where they, they have the potential to be stuck, they're never going to move forward to the life that they want. You know, what I really love about what you're saying, Jeff, uh, I had a thought last week just about how 
a lot of change and a lot of um, ability to achieve your dreams comes from the power of your imagination, right? You know, I forget the sayings, but they have all these sayings, like if you can dream it, you can do it, you know, that sort of thing. And it seems sort of trite, but, you know, if you really think about it, you have to kind of sort of with your imagination and the way music you were saying does, and I think it's a, it's a super powerful example. If you can get your mind there to that other state, then you can see a path and you can generate the energy. And, you know, like when you're exercising, you can get yourself there versus if you're stuck and you have no vision and no imagination, well, guess what? You're staying exactly where you are. Exactly. So the, the powerful question I ask my clients in this situation, when I, mm-hmm. when I hear them focused on the past, is in life, are you sitting in a rowboat or are you sitting in a canoe? A rowboat versus a canoe. Yeah. Are you actually, are you paddling a rowboat uh-huh. or paddling a canoe? And my clients often do what you're doing right now is you're pausing and you're probably visualizing the rowboat. Right. And you're, and you're pausing to visualize the canoe. Okay. Yeah, and totally. They, and they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I say, which way are you facing when you're in a rowboat? When you're, when you're. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's brilliant. And which yeah, way you're facing you backwards. Yeah, yeah, you're facing yeah. backwards in the rowboat and forwards. Right. Yeah. And with, with one of my clients who would always slip back, Joe, I would just say, I would stop and I'd say, which way are you facing right now? What what are you in a canoe or a rowboat? Yeah. And it always brought her back to that center point. Yeah. I I, I had a similar conversation um, with another guest and we were talking about how if there's something in your past and you can't let go of it, you know, sort of along the lines of what you're saying, it can hamper you from moving forward or seeing things that are really great for you in the future because you're just holding on to that thing in the past so tightly and maybe it's even taking you further away than mm. uh, where you need to be or, or the good things that are in store for you. And it's a very difficult thing, right? We all, it's, it's a tendency that I think as human beings, we all kind of have inside us, right? Right. And the, the saddest situations are the one where they're totally unresolvable. The people involved in the past have passed away or the situations has, have completely changed. You don't know where the people are. And so yeah, no closure. That's something, that's something as coaches we can begin to work with is how do you come to peace with something that's unresolvable versus <laughs> trying to fix what is unresolvable? You could write a whole book about that, Jeff. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have one of Fleetwood Mac's most successful songs, and I find it to be a super motivational song, maybe something that uh, could make its way onto an exercise playlist. Ah, very good.
what might people like about this song, Jeff? Well, here's, here's what it does for me. I, I hear lyrics like, yesterday's gone, yesterday's gone. Why not think about the times to come and not the things that you've done? If your life was bad to you, just think about what tomorrow will do. This <laughs> one's about looking forward instead of backwards. This is the exact same theme that uh -huh. we've heard in Almost Real, but it has a completely different emotion coming out of it, right? The, the tempo, uh, the lyrics are about the future may be stronger, but the tempo is definitely stronger here. So what was the emotion for you, Joe? What, what came up for you as you were listening to that? If Almost Real is desperation, pain, and hope, what's going on here? Um, I would say kind of um, it made you feel powerful, you know, like anything was possible. That it just really, it was an empowering song. Maybe that's the emotion, you know, a real feeling of empowerment. Right. And the last lyrics, don't you look back. It's like, there's actually, there's nothing to be gained by looking back. There's actually danger to be gained by looking back, right? Don't you look back. Let's move forward together. I just love pairing these two because of the, the, the different emotions that come out of what is basically the same theme, looking forward instead of looking back. Yeah, and, and I guess there's a subtle difference between learning from your past versus constantly looking back at your past instead of looking forward. That's a beautiful segue. <laughs> a beautiful segue, Joe. If you want to talk about the past as the context for present. Yeah, absolutely. For our last clip, let's have a listen to Sarah McLaughlin's Ethereal Singing. What do you see, Jeff? Well, this one, this is a great one. 
Joe, and, and you kind of gave us a good lead here that uh, while we don't want to live in the past, sometimes it's good to look back there to see what happened. You know, trying to fix the speed bumps and the potholes of the past, that's the domain of the psychotherapist. And okay. we don't live there. But we do want to kind of have a window at what happened. And this song has some great lyrics to it about past mistakes. We believe that we can change ourselves. The past can be undone. But we carry on our back the burden time always reveals in the lonely light of morning in the wound that would not heal. Mm. So there is something in this, in this person's past that she's, that she's singing about. And what this does is uh, this always signals to me the headwaters of the inner critic. Because whatever, whatever this was, it's, it's triggered this voice in our head. And that's what we carry forward. And so it's a delicate balance, Joe. We don't want to go back there. I'm not trained. I can't, I can't fix what happened. Uh-huh. But for example, I had a client, and we, we should talk about this. I had a client who was strapped in an airplane seat as a 10-year-old upside down as the plane was filling in water. She was in an airplane crash, 10 years old, strapped in her seat upside down. Now, as coaches... Do we need to know that? Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly helpful to know. It, it, it was like a spotlight coming on for me. And she yeah. didn't reveal that initially. That was after we had developed trust and everything. But it did start to put some pieces in place that I asked her about later on. So I can't fix that. But it really did. it really did make a lot of sense to me in terms of this triggering something in her past. Yeah. And another one I can ask you, um, this one, this one came to mind. One of my clients lost both her parents in an early age and she was raised by her aunt and uncle. Now, would that be of value to know? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, the, the, those feelings and the maybe feeling of abandonment or, you know, that, that has got to seep into everything else. Right. Made other relationships very tenuous because, I've been, I've been egregiously hurt. I lost my parents. And mm-hmm. once we uncover that, we could start to see how that pattern uh, was repeated in her behavior, right? Yes. The dance here is that we don't want to necessarily make the connections for the client. Right. We want the client to make those connections to see that that could be the influencer for them, right? Yeah. And what I really love about what you're saying here, Jeff, is our goals as coaches, we're not psychotherapists, we're not going back and we're, we're certainly not time travelers. We can't go back and fix the damage that's been done. But by the person sort of understanding the trigger and the pattern and how they react to certain things, I feel like it, it gives them a chance to make a different choice in terms of how they react to other things that trigger this or fall into a pattern that they normally do. Because if you don't know, I mean, for most of us, 99% of our lives, we're just on autopilot. We think we're making a bunch of decisions, but we're just responding to the patterns as we go along. Yeah. And, and the opposite is true. Also, we can look to the past for things that were positive to see how they play in, in our present. And I'll give you, I'll give you one short example, Joe. Sure. I named my coaching company Quetico Career Coaching. Okay. 
And people always go, well, what's Quetico? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think I asked you that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quetico is a, is a province of Canada. Uh-huh. And it's in southwestern Ontario. It's a wilderness canoe park. And I, when I was teaching, I used to go up to that park with my teaching buddies and my brother every summer. Mm-hmm. We would be in the wilderness with only the things that we could carry on our back. Mm-hmm. It was a place of, of great challenge because you're carrying canoes through muddy, bug-infested portages and you're, you know, you're riding out big headwinds when you're canoeing and you can't stop because your boat will turn. And, um, but it was also a place of great reflection because on some afternoons we would just lay on the rocks and soak up the, soak up the sun or at night we watched the, you know, the, the stars were unbelievable. So Quetico has this point of reflection and challenge for me. And that's mm-hmm. what I wanted my coaching to do. So there's part of my past that's positive and I bring it forward. Ah, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The past is not all negative. There's some mm-hmm. great things that we can leverage and, and build on. Well, Jeff, it's been a real treat to talk to you and learn about your insights on change. What updates or things you are working on would you like to share with our audience? Yeah, thanks, Joe. So I did mention and, and kind of teased it at, at the early, up, up early in the interview, I do have my own pos- podcast. It's called Getting Unstuck. And I co-host that with a colleague of mine. And what we try to do there is um, help individuals and organizations identify the barriers that stand in their way of making positive and productive change. And we're also in the process of writing a book um, along those same same lines right now. So great. Uh, lot going on. Well, I have to say I'm a big fan of that Getting Unstuck podcast. I really like the episode where you actually did a, an exercise um, with your guest with overcoming a problem and putting things on index cards and triggering some memory. And then yeah, it was just, I, I thought that was amazing. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the pers- perspective exercise. Yeah. Yeah, going to steal that from you as well. (laughs) Got it. it. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you for sharing your insights on why it works. All right. Thanks for having me, Joe. This has been a lot of fun. Like Summertime in Baseball, a great audiobook to go with this podcast is Immunity to Change, as mentioned by Jeff and authored by Robert Keegan and Lisa Lasko-Leahy. To receive a free copy of Immunity to Change, or another audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com slash why it works. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash why it works for your free audiobook. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment or become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash why it works. That's www.patreon.com t-r-e-o-n dot com slash why it works thank you and remember the enemy of learning is boring thanks for listening to this episode of why it works for more information about joe kwanjo coaching as well as access to my articles videos and podcasts visit joe kwanjo.com And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.